Hello, everyone. This is John Moore, theater critic for the Denver Post, and this is Running Lines, a weekly podcast feature of DenverPost.com. This week, we are honored to be joined by a man who's got spunk. Yeah. He's the great Ed Asner, seven-time Emmy winner, star of stage and screen, who's uh, bound for Colorado for a one-night-only performance of the Great Tennessee Monkey Trial, in which on February 2nd, he will play William Jennings Bryan at the Mackey Auditorium on the University of Colorado campus. Welcome, Mr. Asner. Thank you, sir. I, I apologize in advance if I accidentally call you Lou. Uh, it's an honorable man. <laughs> I bet that happens from time to time. Sure. What, what do you think Lou Grant would say about the uh, demise of the newspaper industry right now? Well, it was being written even at the time Lou Grant was extant. Yeah. Uh, and he would mourn, and he would uh, he would growl and and bitch and uh, and wish that he could get Atlas to come in and uh, help clean up the stables, even though that was Hercules' job. Is he available? Uh, there aren't any, or many at least, Atlases or Herculeses around. That's, that's for sure. Hey, no pressure or anything, but I just want you to know you're following Carol Burnett and Georgia Engel as recent guests on our podcast. Well, you have good taste. <laughs> Georgia had very nice things to say about you. I'll just say that. No, she's a, she's a sweetie. Yeah, yeah. And so is Carol. Yeah. I had a good time with Carol. Hey, the, the last time you and I spoke, uh, you were Denver-bound for a reading for Stories on Stage. I, I can't believe it was already all the way back in 2003, but you came out here for a reading of Wallace Stegner's short story called Chip Off the Old Block. Yeah. I don't remember the story that well, but I love Wallace Stegner. Yeah. I think I gave it sufficiency. I won't say I was great, but I I didn't mess it up. Well, Stories on Stage is a great program, and it's about staged readings, and the Tennessee Monkey trial is similar in that way, in that it's being presented as a radio play with you using actual transcripts from the 1925 Scopes Monkey Trials. How did this all come about, and how did your involvement start with it? Well, it actually started in um, in 92 with a script prepared by Peter Goodchild, and um, the Kansas controversy was going on at the time about teaching evolution in the schools, and the school board was up for re-election, I guess, mm-hmm. and Norman Lear funded our little company to come out and do this reading in Lawrence, Kansas, to help fight the uh, the forces of darkness, and we helped win that election, I think. Really? Uh, or at least the good guys won. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since that time, the play's been modified uh, beneficially. It's a very smooth, well-crafted, it's better than Inherit the Wind. You are a pro. This way to lead into my next question. Um, I'm sure people know that, of course, this is the Scopes Monkey Trial, which challenged the state ban on the teaching of evolution in Tennessee. But I'm sure a lot of people only know of the actual trial from the movie Inherit the Wind. So how is it better? Well, it spends less time on the cutesy-wootsy aspects of it. The the drama takes place in the courtroom. There are speeches by Darrow, by Malone, by me, which are strong, great pieces of oratory, which are profound truths, at least to the speaker. And I think they present the problem much more straightforwardly and and much more dramatically, so that we don't waste time on the carnival in town and the girls and the boys, and we get to the heart of the 
matter, and the heart of the matter is phenomenally dramatic. Well, this goes back to how you and Norman Lear and your pals got this started in the first place. When you did, it was still relevant, and I, I know we don't hear about it in the headlines quite as much now, but it, but the debate goes on, and I, I guess my question is, how is it possible that more than 80 years later we're still seriously having this argument in today's society about evolutionism versus creationism? Because this American society, as opposed to other Western civilization countries, is much more affected and dominated uh, from time to time uh, by fundamentalist thinking. And it impedes education, it impedes politics and, and social programs in many ways by some of this radical opposition. Uh, there was just a case in Texas last week where the school board was held down by its conservatives uh, so that evolution can be taught but with, uh, with many catches in the teaching. Mm -hmm. Texas is very important because uh, uh, they have such a large market for school books that publishers following the usual trail of greed only want to put out the books that Texas likes, which they then feel out to the, much of the rest of the nation. So it, it affects our daily lives in many little incidental ways. Yeah. I, well, just, I just read about how uh, an article in The Nation about how uh, uh, this Rick Warren got uh, a, a tax break from the government with Congress overruling the courts and giving him total dispensation on his tax problems with the IRS. So this could not happen in any other country in the Western world. For people who don't know, Rick Warren, you're talking about the, the minister who was, who was put in charge of all the ministering at the inaugural yeah. uh, proceedings. This, uh, and who is anti-gay. A whole other interesting conversation, no doubt. But as we as we talk about this, though, it seems to me the subject could be evolutionism versus creationism. It could be people who believe in global warming or don't. But I guess the question is, how is it possible that so many people can simply overlook the presence of overwhelming scientific fact? Well, that's the mind. And I, I, I uh, describe our play and the situation between fundamentalism and, uh, and scientists as uh, a battle between minds and hearts. And I am sympathetic to the idea of following your heart and believing in your heart and believing in miracles and believing that uh, if I cross my fingers, it'll make it happen. I, I understand and sympathize with all that. The problem arises when that sector of our society is feels so threatened by science that they feel that they must castrate science to go on crossing their fingers. And that's where the battle takes place. So the people who come and see this play, and they're obviously hearing transcripts from 1925 and seeing you perform them, but what do, what do you think they get out of it as a theatrical experience, and what do they learn about that they might apply to these debates that we're having today? I think they will think, for one thing. Well, there's a start. Uh, yeah. So I'll give you an example. We gave a matinee in Green Bay, Wisconsin, to home, mostly homeschooled kids, high school and, and middle school. And in the Q&A after the show, one of the actors became so frustrated, he stood up and asked the kids, after seeing our show, said, how many of you believe that the world was created in six days? And two-thirds of them held up their hands. Wow. So, you know, the enemy is out there in terms of affecting the mind. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, the battle will never stop, not in this country. Yeah. Uh, but we must not sit back on our butts. Well, it sounds like you're not one who's sitting back on your butt, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you certainly have earned the right to be able to sit back and, and enjoy yourself, but you're doing this whole national tour with us now, so why is it so important for you at this stage of your career to be to be out there getting this word out? Well, number one, it's exciting. I love the role. I love being in the production. We have a wonderful cast. It's well-directed. It's well-shaped. It's beautifully written. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't doing anything else. <laughs> Well, that's refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, we, we mentioned Rick Warren, and speaking of uh, Barack Obama, we, we had, the, of course, the Democratic National Convention here in Denver mm-hmm. a, a, se- a century after Denver hosted the 1908 convention in which the party nominated William Jennings Bryan, who you're playing in this play. Um, what, what do you think we learn about him as a man in this play that we might not otherwise know that you bring out? That he was a man who... Did great service to this country. I hope they, they realize that. Uh, that in this last stage of his life, he, uh, he followed his heart. He did not want to deny his heart. Yeah. But his mind was too great to sit out there and spout out, what can I say, gas, yeah. to sustain his arguments. He could not sustain his arguments and therefore was made to seem a failure by this trial. Yeah, yeah. But at least he was a believer. Yeah. And I certainly approve of believers yeah. as long as they stay on their side of the fence. <laughs> well, um, Ed, they made me promise to only keep you for 10 minutes, but I, I, I think a lot of my, my listeners would be disappointed if I didn't take the opportunity to ask a man with a thousand stories if I couldn't indulge you for a quick anecdote about one of the great days of the Mary Tyler Moore show or some other experience? Well, I, we put it all on film. Yeah. We, we, we really didn't have a lot in terms of, of Mary, anyway. Yeah. Uh, to uh, uh, humorous stories, we didn't even have a uh, goofer uh, reel. Yeah. But... Because uh, you all got it right the first time, every time. No, right? no. But, <laughs> but one of the funniest occurrences was on our first year. Yeah. We brought in this wonderful character director named Dick Balduzzi, yeah. and he came in there, and we've been rolling along for a few weeks, months, I don't know, and he played he played the labor organizer at the, uh, at the TV station, Yeah. and so he came in in his first scene, and he couldn't get one line right. He just kept goofing and goofing. Yeah. We had about seven to ten takes, and that's a lot yeah. in three-camera comedy with an audience. Yeah, yeah. So finally, they were able to piece it together and 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 complete the scene. He wasn't in the second scene, and uh, Murray came in, dressed for the second scene, as was I, and he said, uh, Balducci's out in the alley going over his lines. And they said, what, for the next scene? <laughs> no, for the one we just finished. <laughs> It may not seem funny to you, but it it shows how scrambled his brain had become from the ordeal. But as you go into the show, though, it's got to be nice when you go from city to city and people just, you know, love you for just that that connection that they feel that they must have with you through through the television screen. Listen, when people warmly welcome you, how... How can you not be uplifted? Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna welcome you warmly, if not in temperature. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> Just find me a, a nice chubby woman. <laughs> 
I think we got a few of those. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you off the hook. But uh, bef- before we go, I want to thank you for joining us, and I and I want to remind everyone listening that the Great Tennessee Monkey Trial will be playing at 7:30 p.m. Monday, February 2nd only at Mackey Auditorium on the University of Colorado campus. Tickets are 12 to 52 dollars and can be had by calling 303-492. 8008 or by going online to cuconcerts.org slash monkey dot html and the phone number again is 303-492-8008 thanks everyone for joining us on Running Lines and remember you can join us for a new podcast either audio or video depending on the week every Thursday at denverpost.com slash theater and I am just a I'm glad you are